Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. How's it going, Katie? Not bad. How about yourself? I am okay. Yo, yeah? Yeah. I'm just You're okay. Super convincing. Super convincing. <laughs> no, I'm fine. <laughs> Um, as always, we're doing great. We're, yeah, we're doing great. Everything's fine. Don't, don't need to worry about us. Uh, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show... We've got lots of chart news about Lady Gaga and A Star Is Born. The album returns to number one on the Billboard 200 in the wake of the Oscars, while its Academy Award-winning song Shallow vaults to number one on the Hot 100. Ooh. We'll break down what all of this means, what historic chart feats have been achieved, and what we can maybe learn from Gaga's double number ones. Plus, we have an interview with Stephen Puth. The pop singer-songwriter only has a couple of songs out so far, so our Getting to Know You interview dives into his musical background when we might hear a full album from him and how his brother, yes, you might have heard of him, Charlie Puth. Friend of the podcast, Charlie Puth. Indeed, inspired his just-released second single. So stick around for all that. Might be the first time that we've actually had... uh siblings on the show in separate shows maybe yeah i was thinking i'm like did we have the joe bros no like no joe bros i know we had ajr bros well i mean there have been brothers in the same show but never like well actually no we've had joe and nick on separate oh there there's the one example yeah from the jonases to the pooths from the joni to the pooth eye (laughs) no okay before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Okay, so lots of action on the charts this week, which is not restricted to simply Lady Gaga and the A Star Is Born soundtrack. You can read all about this in my story about the Billboard 200 that posted earlier this week. I mean, there's five debuts in the top 10 on the Billboard 200. Gunna, Offset, Kehlani, Lil Pump, Gary Clark Jr. The Hot 100 has a whole bunch of stuff going on too, but we are going to focus specifically on Lady Gaga and the A Star Is Born soundtrack. That just sounds weird. The A Star Is Born soundtrack. It's just English. The Star Is Born soundtrack. (laughs) Hmm. All right, first, the basics. The soundtrack, basking in the glow of its parent film's exposure on the February 24th Academy Awards, where it was nominated for multiple awards, including Best Picture, and it took home the Best Original Song Trophy for Shallow, returns to number one on the Billboard 200 for a fourth non-consecutive week. It actually spent its first three weeks at number one last year when it came out. Uh, The album earned 129,000 equivalent album units in the week ending February 28th, according to Nielsen Music. And that's a gain of just, you know, 153%. <laughs> Not too bad. It's amazing what the Oscars can do. Indeed. Plus, 
the album's song Shallow, which won the Best Original Song Oscar, as we said a moment ago, for its co-writer Lady Gaga, vaults from number 21 to number 1 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, marking Gaga's fourth number 1 single. Uh, The track had a huge surge in sales and streams. It sold 115,000 downloads, which is up 225%, and tallied 27.3 million streams, which is up 185%. And those streams actually include YouTube views of the Oscars performance of Shallow by Gaga and her film's co-star, Bradley Cooper. That really explains it all, because that performance was a lot. I think the, the yes, it was. <laughs> it was a, a lot. lot to handle. It was a lot. Clearly, the, the American public knew that too. So, some notable achievements here, Keith, um, including number one, A Star is Born has the most weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 among soundtracks since Frozen spent 13 weeks at number one in 2014. Hmm. You may have heard of Frozen. You, you might have heard of that. Let I'm sure I, I will soon. I don't quite have a two-year-old, but I hear that kids like it. I'm waiting for the Let It Go Shallow matchup. Exactly. There you go. Number two, Shallow is Gaga's fourth number one single and her first since 2011's Born This Way. A star is born this way. <laughs> Ooh, there ain't no other way. Allie is just born this way. <laughs> no? that, that mashup will work. Yes. Uh, and then number three, Shallow and A Star is Born mark the first time a soundtrack and one of its songs have been number one at the same time since 2015 when Furious 7 and Wiz Khalifa's See You Again featuring Charlie Puth Puth. (laughs) were number one at the same time. That's right. And number four, this is just four of the things. There are so many more things. So many notable things. So many notable things. Number four, Shallow is the first Best Original Song Oscar winner to also be a number one on the Hot 100 since January of 2003 when Eminem's Lose Yourself wrapped up a 12-week run at number one. Though, Lose Yourself was number one before it won the Oscar, which is a little bit different than what Shallow was doing, where Shallow went to number one after it won the Oscar. So, Shallow was actually the first Oscar-winning song to hit number one after winning its Oscar since way back in 1973. Well, I was wondering about this. When is it? What is it? What is it? Uh, back in 1973, when The Morning After from The Poseidon Adventure hit number one. There's got to be a morning after. Song working a bell, Katie? No? Okay, not so much. <laughs> I don't know that song um, at all. <laughs> Though there's an asterisk on that one. The hit version that we know was sung by Maureen McGovern. But... She didn't actually sing the song in the movie. Mm. Um, So, yes, it became a hit, but only after the fact and by another artist. That's very interesting. So, yeah, this is what Gaga has done and what the Oscars have done is very unusual. Yeah. Yeah. So what can we learn, I guess, from the the double whammy of number ones for Gaga after the Oscars? Uh, I guess number one would be that, you know, going viral... (laughs) <laughs> can always help. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know we're in that era now where a a viral performance can make a huge difference. I mean, and that was not the only reason why you know the 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 the, the viralness of the performance of Gaga and Bradley on the Oscars. You know, then going viral on YouTube. That's not the only reason it hit number one, but that was kind of. I mean. Had a, had a lot to do with I mean, all of the driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you bought the song probably because you were moved to buy the right. song. Right. It wasn't because- just watching that performance. It was like that performance sparked 
a general like, hey, I never actually bought that. <laughs> so yeah, so going viral helps. So create a viral moment. I mean, that's that's an obvious thing, right? But it can't be restated more, especially in light of what we see this week, right? And then obviously we talked about this last week how much we loved the staging of that performance. Yeah, um, just on a lot of levels. Um, you know, just the way they started it, walking up to the stage, the way that they ended, you know, shoulder to shoulder, uh, like are, on the piano bench. Are, are they an item or not? Oh, goodness. It's called acting. Yeah, exactly. That was her, the best response ever she had <laughs> and when she like, went on Kimmel. Cool, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, it was all in one take. And, you know, yeah. it was such, the, the performance itself so stood out as compared to the other three performances, mm-hmm. the best, this best song performances on the Oscars this year. So, you know, I think you know, the Oscars should really take cues from this performance and be like, oh, wow, we really created a moment. Now, they always want to create moments, but maybe this is like, wow, we should really try really different things. Mm -hmm. Maybe they thought like, oh, the Queen performance was something different from us. Like, actually, no, that was actually kind of standard performance for any other music award show. You know what's interesting, though, also, is like at any point during the promo tour for Star is Born, Bradley and Gaga could have performed that like trotted mm. it out to promote the movie but they didn't but they didn't they held it back and they made it really special because of that like the only time you saw them perform was in the movie in character and so it really created this anticipation yeah. for that first televised live performance of the song you know cho- choose your performances wisely yeah i think there have been other examples where it's going to be like you know this is going to be the one time you ever see this probably on tv yeah um and, you know, it helps if it's, like, a duet with a huge Hollywood movie star, you know. Who doesn't typically sing. Who doesn't sing. But now Bradley Cooper. Has no- a number one hit on the Hot 100. And he already <laughs> had a number one album. And he had a Grammy award, right? Like, didn't Shallow win him a Grammy? Um, For best performance by a duo group? Pop performance oh, by duo yeah, group? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I Shallow wasn't even thinking that. about that. I was thinking of the writers. But, yes, you're correct. Yeah, she. I mean, that it did win for Best Visual Song. Yeah, and yeah, which thing. was a songwriting award. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. So then, obviously, that's basically kind of the right time, right place, right combination of things right. to create that moment, which is impossible to duplicate. You can't, yeah, you can't really duplicate it. But it's. it was a moment in time. But, you know, when you think... You think of all the things that make something special mm-hmm. and try to milk that for as much as possible. But again, when it's when you have a song and a narrative and all these things just colliding, it's like, you know, um, music superstar turned actress who's critically applauded, you know, mm-hmm. who could get her first Oscar. Mm-hmm. You know, Bradley Cooper, you know, A Star is Born remake for the fourth, you know, the upteenth time mm-hmm. and just all of these narratives were converging on kind of this performance Mm -hmm. and Gaga's a pro Bradley's a pro and they just sort of knocked it out of the park but you know it could have ended there yeah and yet it's sort of given a whole new life to this project you know will shallow become now a radio like more of a radio hit than it was right a second life will I mean, I can't imagine why, if they aren't already, like, AC Radio should be playing the hell out of this I mean, it, it already was, like, a kind of like a radio hit, but it was never, like... I never heard it on the radio. It was, ne- I mean, well... And I listen to a lot of radio. I don't listen... I, maybe I don't listen to the right stations. I think, maybe, I think it was not exactly a big radio hit. Right. And that it should be... 
in I my mean, mind. The song was already top 10 on the Hot 100, and it's now come back, but it's now number one. Right. And it was mostly top 10 initially just because of streams and sales initially when the album came out. Okay, so do we attribute any of this moment and this success to the fact that this was a musical for all intents and purposes? Like, Even though they're not really calling it Yeah, they it don't musical. really call it a musical. Um, do we think, like, you know, the Hollywood executives who are trying to recreate this lightning in a bottle are like, musicals are back. <laughs> like, how, how are they, like, pitching it to, like, have the next A Star is Born moment, you know? We Success may- in the box office and on the charts. Like, what other, what other, like, sort of musical-adjacent films can we remake? Um, uh-huh. You know, are we going to get, like, we already had, like, poorly re- we had a poorly received remake of footloose a while back um you know do we need one of flash dance uh do we do, right. we do we need one of like i mean we already had like a sequel to dirty dancing that no one really cared about a number of years ago um sorry havana nights so, yeah well no i mean no one remembers that um i so i don't know i think are we gonna get a bunch of new musicals like you know coming soon I don't know, but you know, I mean, you never know. I mean, there's there's now a Sunset Boulevard musical that's going to be allegedly made with Glenn Close starring in it, Lady Gaga's co-nominee and leading actress. That's how Glenn Close is going to get that. That's Oscar. how she's going to get the Oscar. <laughs> I or you know maybe I mean, I still think musicals are a, a dicey proposition in general. Um, it's you have to have the right cast, the right music, the right moment. Mm. This was the right cast, the right moment, the right story. Um, you know, and look how long it took them to get this remake off the ground. Yeah. Like, this was originally supposed to be, like, a Clint Eastwood-directed film starring Beyonce. Right? <sighs> yes. That's and then, exactly right. I forget who the male, like, maybe, I don't, I don't know who the man was. Was it Will Smith or something, maybe? I don't really remember. I don't know. I think there was actually potential of it being Bradley still oh. with Beyonce. What a, what a different story this would have been. Yeah. To say the least. Um, well, who knows? There There is a lot... What else? What else can we learn? There's a lot to learn from this. I mean, it comes down... I've already said the phrase lightning in a bottle, but sometimes that's what it is. And it's like, you could try to calculate and try to do this again, but I don't know that, you know, all the magic pieces of the puzzle can ever be just, like, put together again. I think I think in general, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reminder and a reaffirmation of Lady Gaga being the multi-hyphenate star that we've learn to know her to be Mm -hmm. because now she is like a triple threat you know you know i mean triple quadruple yeah exactly double threat right um and uh you know when people may have sort of blanched at like oh lady gaga in a star is born remake Oh, dear. Because I'm sure there were a lot of naysayers who were just like oh how's this thing gonna turn Mm -hmm. out and then it's like oh by the way and she, it's going to turn out better than anyone could have possibly imagined. You know, so, you know, I think, I th- I still think, you know, kind of like we said last week, you know, I think this is more sort of specific to maybe Gaga's career than maybe kind of like movie musicals in general or Oscars right. in general. But I think everyone kind of learned a moment from this, like Oscars can kind of direct their performances a little bit different. The record industry could learn how can we kind of take the viralness of this kind of performance from an unconventional place in a certain way to kind of use that to our advantage. Can more movie movie musicals, as we've learned actually in the past year, from The Greatest Showman and Now A Star Is Born, Greatest Showman has sold more than a million albums in the United States. That is very, very rare now. It's like still number two in the UK. 
Really? <laughs> yeah, like like a couple weeks ago it was. It's nuts. It's super unusual for an album to sell a million copies. You can have a million units because mm-hmm. of all the streams, but in terms of actually selling a million albums, that's still that's super rare now. Yeah. Um, so The Greatest Showman did it, and A Star is Born is about to do it in like the next week or two. Um, that's super unusual. So the record industry should be saying, maybe we do need more of these musicals because it can actually help get us to sell some old-fashioned mm-hmm. albums and not just do streams because Stars Warner is also doing great in streams as well. Yeah. This is very good for the business in general is what yes. we're saying. Yes, All right. And for Gaga. <laughs> and Gaga too. And now it's time for our interview with Stephen Puth. The pop singer-songwriter has only put out a pair of songs so far, um, his debut single, Sexual Vibe, late last year, and now the just-released mid-tempo song, Half Gone. So it's time to get to know him a little bit better. We caught up with Steven right before the release of Half Gone to talk about his musical background, his signing to the legendary Arista Records, when we might hear a full-length project from him, and how his brother, Charlie Puth, helped inspire his latest song. We also talked about dipping his toe into the concert waters with a few opening dates for Astrid S, and what it's like to move from being a songwriter to being front and center, and why he sort of resisted that in the beginning. So... Let's get to know Stephen Puth with our interview now. You know that I'm listening. Tell me what you want. We're on that sexual vibe. Hello to Stephen Puth, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Hello. Uh, Thanks so much for coming in today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you released your debut single, Sexual Vibe, in December. And it has already earned, I have to come with the billboard stats right off the bat. Oh, it's please. already earned 4 million on-demand U.S. streams so far in the U.S., according to Nielsen Music. And now top four radio stations are picking it up. What's it been like seeing this song just take off? I'll be honest, I didn't really know those stats into that detail. Oh, good. So that was kind of cool. I provide that to you. I, I like stats. <laughs> um, I, don't, I, I mean, we just kind of put it out, and the goal was to just build a foundation of you know, okay, who are we identifying this artist as? But also, it's kind of quirkier music, so A, I'm just glad it's out, but B, uh, you know, it's definitely been doing better than I had expected, hmm. um, but I'm always very, like, cynical, so maybe <laughs> maybe I should work on that, but mm. but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I couldn't be any happier, and, you know, just the idea to get out more music, so. Yeah, and how did it, like, why was this song the one that you felt would be a good musical introduction for yourself? Um, you know, you know, it's funny cause I was writing and producing, uh, just for other, like signed to publishing for other artists mm-hmm. before. And this song I had done somewhat during that era and it was just by far the weirdest. And I was like, <laughs> well, who would sing this? And I was like, okay, no one. <laughs> cause it's just weird the way it sounds sonically, you know? So I was just like, I should put it out. It's kind of cool. And I-, I thought it was just the idea of using my lower, uh, register mm-hmm. for my voice it's like no one really does that anymore and it's definitely one of those songs that just makes you kind of perk on you're like what did he just say so and sonically it's it's kind of a you know it's a head nod to you know vintage like you know 60s 70s type era of music so yeah. um was there any like reference point for that when you like as far as the sound of the of the um production goes no i mean to be honest, the only reference there was at all is uh, when I was messing around with my one friend after uh, a night out. He just looked at me and he's like, this song needs a sexual vibe. That was literally <laughs> just it. it. It was just that. And then we just kept playing the same guitar riff over mm. and over again. And that stuck. And then the rest, uh, when I had help from other friends, I was just like, 
we're just gonna put down a bunch of live instruments and just put some cool little like ear candy pieces in between and uh yeah i guess that was the birth of it and um you co-wrote the song uh with a murderer's row of pop songwriters there's ito's michelani nolan sype Brian Lee, and of course, Ido co-wrote and co-produced um, I Know What You Did Last Summer for uh, Sean Mendes and Camila Cabello. Nolan co-wrote Andy Grammer's Honey, I'm Good. How did you, you know, get together with these guys for the song, and what were, what were those sessions like? Um, so it started with Brian. Uh, we were at our friend's birthday, and it was at a nightclub, and I did not like those places. <laughs> so then uh, after that, he looked at me. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm going to bed. He's like, no, let's go to the studio. So we went to the studio. After the club. Yeah, so okay. it was like 3, 3 4 in the morning. Perfect time to start working. Yeah, so <laughs> we just sat there for a couple hours. We played each other some music and then uh, pulled out the guitar. And we just, it's like a 13-minute voice note of just yelling at each other, essentially. <laughs> but there was this idea. Um, so I took that idea. Uh, I didn't touch it for a couple, maybe like eight months, nine months. And then I started producing around that voice note, mm. essentially. So then I had to relearn the guitar part, which took me a minute because Brian was playing it. <laughs> and then I had to figure out, like, where to structure these melodies. Right. So I put, like, a beat together over the guitar, and I, th- I had some melodic ideas, but I mainly had the chorus melodic idea. Then I worked with Ido and Nolan, who I've been working with for a while, mm. and I just walked in the room one day, and I was just like, I have this idea. Uh and I know Ito's really musical when it comes to producing, so I knew he would be able to just take whatever I had and make it even weirder, um, but cooler, obviously. <laughs> right. And Nolan is, like, it's just, uh, I guess, like, modern-day Shakespeare is so quick. Mm. So between that, we finished the idea of the song even further, and then Ito and I just kept working on the production for, like, literally four months after. We tried a 1,000 versions for that post Man. As weird as that sounds. Like, literally, we just kept going, and eventually we got it to where we were happy. Um, but, yeah, it was awesome, because to be honest, I never had able to fully co-produce, a, like, a full track with somebody right. before. Uh, so it's appropriate you did it for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and great. it's like, well, because it's either before it was either somebody else would take over the production, right. or I was just the writer. Right. Um, so it was great, and, you know, I've been working with, you know, for a good bit, so it was kind of like the paternalistic figure where... He's showing me things, and then I'm showing him things, and it just kind of all comes together. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a weird year and a half birth, I guess, of the song. From a lot went into this introduction, to say the least. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> no, it's definitely winded. no. I mean, like as far as you know, you properly like being like, hey, I'm Stephen Poot, this is my music, and but and so it seems like all very quick, but like to us, but to you, this has been a work in progress. Obviously, yeah. I mean, give credit where it's due. It's also good to just kind of mention like the writers and produce like the team that you work with of course of course i think that's important so that makes sense since you came from a songwriting background like you understand what goes into that you know i would i would personally hate if someone's like yeah i did the whole thing myself (laughs) i'd be like i'd be sitting there i'd be like dude i had no help whatsoever we're just playing video games and postmating the whole time in the session but yeah like Uh, i'm i'm really glad how it came out so um, and uh, it was released on the recently relaunched Arista Records. Um, I read that you initially didn't want a recording deal as an artist. Is no. that true? Yeah, that, that was very true. Okay, so you basically sat down with uh, David Massey, who's the president and CEO of Arista. He offered you a deal, and you were like, eh, that's not so much. <laughs> like, how does that work? It, it wasn't even necessarily offering a deal at first. It, it was um, it was just a meeting. I never met mm-hmm. him. Um 
when we met and he was I was playing him music and he was just like yeah I, I think you should be an artist and he just kind of said it like that and mm -hmm. I was like I don't think so mm -hmm. and he's like no like you really should be <laughs> and then a couple months later he came out again he was like I really think you should be an artist and I was like no I really d I don't like that's I, I just like being behind the scenes and then the third time he was like you should fly to New York. Like we're gonna, like we're gonna, we should talk. And I was like, all right, all right. And then that's when I was just like, you know what? What's the worst thing that happens? I can always go back to writing. But right, honestly, it's been the best decision. I'm glad he pushed me like three times. <laughs> it's way more fun. It's a new outlet for music. Right. Like the writing world's hard. Like it's like taking a thousand darts in one hand and closing your eyes and trying to hit the bullseye. Yeah. When it comes to just getting music landed. So I'm really glad I have an outlet of my identity to put out. It could be whatever it is. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about you starting songwriting. You moved to L.A. a few years ago to, to pursue that. Was that kind of the first time you decided, maybe I can make a, a music career work? Like, was that the idea? Like, maybe I can make this thing happen? Um, well, like my, my last year of college, I downloaded Pro Tools and I was making terrible what I thought was like hip hop beats. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I was always like, I, I had been working out here other summers and I just, over time, I just realized that I don't want to be like an A&R mm -hmm. because I, I was just always thinking to myself, I could make the music. I have the ability, the credentials, like grew up playing piano my whole life mm -hmm. and then taught myself guitar and a couple other instruments. It's like, like why not? Like, so over time that just kind of developed, um, but I just knew I had to put in, I mean, I'm still putting in my thousand hours of, you know, everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely kind of a different career choice because I used to do finance. Like I used to intern yeah, at That is much different. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, uh, I just remember I, I, I took time off from school to actually work at this one place for a couple months because I really, I was like, I want to secure a job in finance. I remember after I did it, I just walked outside one day and I just thought to myself I'm like I do not want to do this mm. it's just I'm not first of all I'm not that good at math so that that's my that that should have been my first time right um but yeah I mean it just it was always music was always the thing that when I didn't want to do schoolwork or when I was stressed out it was the one thing I would start doing to occupy mm. my time mm -hmm. as like you know the, the therapeutic sense so mm. uh yeah it just it just kind of developed into I guess a full-time thing so, you know, I still have a long way to go, but it was, it was, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it. Well, you are a professional musician now. This is, <laughs> so you're doing it. Some could say professional. Yeah, I mean, it's your In livelihood. progress musician, how about that? <laughs> um, you mentioned playing piano. Your, um, your mom was a piano teacher, right? Yeah, that was fun. So, yeah. <laughs> did you actually take, did you take lessons with your mom or did yeah, you take them outside no, the she, house? Well, we did both. She okay. was our teacher. Um, it was kind of like, intermittent where she would be either the full-time teacher or sometimes she would have us work with other pianists mm. and then like on the weekend she'd be like sitting there it'd be like Watching an extra you. lesson <laughs> so it, um it, it, was, it was stressful I was, my mom actually was a voice teacher and so I grew up like hearing voice lessons in my house and um when it was time for me to take them, I didn't, I wouldn't listen to my mom. I knew she was a good teacher, but I needed like to go outside of my house. You know what I mean? To like actually learn. Yeah. I was definitely the most stubborn, <laughs> um, but I still listen to some degree. Yeah. So <laughs> that's good. You know, um, but yeah, I was really stubborn. Was there a lot of music in your house? Like music just being played in general? Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
literally uh my uh my parents are staying with us right now and just every day the piano's being played <laughs> so what that, about what kind of music they listened to like when you were growing up oh well listening growing up mm-hmm. i mean uh van morrison beatles zeppelin uh you know al green just kind of goes it's funny my mom was more classic rock mm-hmm. my dad was more like James Taylor acoustics and then kind of mixed in with that like R&B Motown era. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. But every day, I mean, growing up, we'd always hear our mom just playing piano, like classical music. So yeah, I guess, it's just like ingrained in you. I'm sure. Yeah. Part of it's embedded. I mean, I wish my, my sight reading has gone pretty bad, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's still, it's like a thing that you can always pick up. Which when you're good. songwriting, do you sit at a piano or strum a guitar, or are you typically yeah you do sometimes yeah I mean most times most times um like personally I, I I'm very like I I like I always like to do co-writes because when you do click with people it's really fun mm. sometimes I'll write alone and that's fun too but it can also get boring but I, I, I'm I'm very painful to write with is what I've noticed <laughs> like I'm just very neurotic and. Uh. Which is very ADD, so I, I feel bad for some of the people I've written with because <laughs> it's it's just it's a me problem. But anyway, uh, I like to personally start with an instrument, mm-hmm. uh, just messing around, no idea in mind. Yeah, like, I don't I don't think there have been very few times in my life where I've walked and I've been like, I know the title of the song. It just it comes once you start talking to the person, it just kind of rolls out. Mm. Um, so yeah, I like to start like that. Um, but sometimes, yeah, I've just gone straight to the computer and been like, I found this really weird sound. It's just whatever you can pull inspiration from, it varies. Sure. And um, I don't know how many, I was going to ask you about when you perform. Have you gotten to perform much like of your own music yet? Um, my own music? No, yeah. not really. So uh, next week, actually. Oh, really? What- yeah. This is actually going to air at the beginning of March, so it might have already happened by the time. So, what uh, are, do you know what you're doing? Yeah, or, like can you so, talk about it. Yeah, so right, cool. I'm just I'm going to be opening for Astrid S for two shows. Amazing, that's um, awesome. Yeah, so her team reached out, and uh, I, I just it's it's going to be like a strip set, like acoustic. Okay, which I think is kind of nice because like maybe I can you know hopefully we'll, uh, by the time when this is already here but like <laughs> I'll provide like this very intimate environment because her music's very like uplifting energetic mm. so I think it's kind of creates a cool dichotomy yeah. um but also yeah it's just great practice too um and uh you know it's it's also just a sign of like hey this is real you're not just sitting in like musical streaming purgatory where it's like you're waiting for one song to kick off right. and then you'll start performing because that's what a lot of artists do yeah. and it's it's a bummer because i guess it used to be the other way around um but it's just a different era and yeah. uh but yeah i mean i'm excited for it but I'm definitely a little bit nervous i mean that's the truth oh but, sure you know what's the worst that happens no one really kn- they're only going to know one song right that's officially released. So in theory, I could mess up the other four. Uh, I don't think I'm going to. I've been, you know, I think I, I think I'm pretty on point with that. But but if you say a wrong lyric, maybe that'll become the new lyric. Who knows? Like you could just roll. Can with very it. well happen. But you know, it's always just uh, the idea is to just connect with a different fan base in this case and just you know get your name out there. Sure. Hopefully they like it. So yeah, I think that's the most important part. Uh, yeah, I would say. And I you talked about nerves and. Um, we have not mentioned yet, of course, famous last name, Puth. Charlie's your bro. Do you call him up when you have something where you're like, ah, God, I'm going to perform next week. Like, do you have some advice for me or something? Because he's obviously navigated all this before as well. I mean, 
to be honest, we're very uh, we're a very independent family. Mm. Um, Even though you're a twin sister sitting right here in the room. <laughs> right well, now. micromanaging my inability to do you know simple things throughout the day is one thing, but um, no, when it comes to actually figuring things out, it requires like you know for example uh, when I was in school I like you know I, I did call him I was like I'm gonna download Pro Tools mm. and he was like great in my mind I was like oh I'll get I'll be able to get help and you know a couple of things in it but it was all on me to figure out yeah so I'm just sitting there literally just clicking around on a program it's like trying to teach yourself a you know a different language right it's it's really it's so but you know that's also the fun in it because the reality is if if you're being spoon-fed information, you're not going to retain it. Right. Do you really remember, like, what your history teacher was telling you in fifth grade? I wish I did. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but <don't>. anyway, <laughs> it's like, you know, but when you were reading a book of some sort and you found something really interesting, I bet that's, like, the one weird thing you retained that probably wasn't You took the, the highlighter out, yeah. you mark it down. Probably wasn't yeah. on the test, but yeah, you, were right. probably, you were probably <laughs> so excited. You're like, I, I get that. Yeah. I understand. So it's kind of, I guess the analogy kind of coincides with that, where it's like, Yes, in theory, there's always somebody to talk to and mm-hmm. support, but it's also important to create your own path. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, so, you know, it's And great. everyone's trajectory is going to be different, too. Like, you know, you're you're going to take your own path. Yeah, I mean, musically, you can just write out. Like, my music's very, you know, it's funny. If you Google my name, not nar- that I've done that as a total <laughs> narcissist, but it'll say genre alternative indie. And... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think I, I think I can be more like alt pop, but you know, alternative sure. indie, great. But that's also kind of defining. Like my sound is different. Uh, just as an artist, I, I don't think there are a lot of artists that totally have the production and the voice that I have. Yeah. Whether you love it or hate it, it's simply no. Different. It sounds different. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's you know, I, I think that's really what's you know, it's all about distinguishing yourself from everyone else in a positive way. Which is way. hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, I just think like, you know, uh, was more music comes out, the tonality in my voice you'll, you'll hear is different. I was going to say, I actually got a chance to listen to your next song a little Woo. in advance, half gone. Um, by the time everyone hears this interview, it will be out so we can speak freely about it. You um, can still leak it to the internet. Yeah, I mean, I'm not planning on it, but <laughs> yeah, you've already, it. you've heard it as of this interview because I personally leaked it. Um, <laughs> but no, the, <laughs> the chorus is such like a, like a heartbreaking sentiment. You know, it's uh, you say, how can I love when my heart's half gone? Tell me about how that song and that, that, you know, turn of phrase came to be <laughs> well actually funny enough um it's when i was in college uh and it's when i was learning pro tools and I, I was really like it was my last semester and i wasn't like oh college is over i was so excited to leave it, it was not <laughs> you were not a nostalgia yeah no <laughs> i was sad because um i had like a up and down path with a girl and um it was i was talking to another girl and like there was nothing at the time. I, I wasn't like, there's anything. Like, it seemed like fine. It's like, well, why can't I open up to it was mm. essentially my idea. So anyway, I was I was kind of like sad by it all. Um, it's also, you're in the middle of Pennsylvania and it's just winter. It's cold. It's a tundra. It's, it's a dark tundra. <laughs> so that doesn't help either. Um, and uh, it actually got to the point where I, my, my, uh, my, my brother was actually in Baltimore. So he came and visited me. We got dinner and like, I mean. 
you know, typically I'm not the most emotional person. So it, it, the fact that he could even notice kind of explained it. So we're driving around and he's like, he's like, what's wrong? And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, this is what I said verbatim, which is kind of funny. It's like, imagine you got a piece of pizza, right? That's, that's, your, that's your heart. Every single time you go to love somebody, you're giving a piece of it away. Mm. And eventually, and then I said to him, I was like, well, how am I supposed to love the next person if half my heart's already ha- like half gone? Half gone. Yeah. And he was like, but then I, I said it a little bit more eloquently. I was like, how can, I think I said, how can I love somebody when half my heart's already gone? Mm. And then he was like, say it again. I was like, what? And I said it again. And then I was like, how can I love my heart to have gone? And he's like, he's like, why are you studying history? And I was like, I don't know. It's interesting. And he's like, why aren't you writing? And I was like, well, I'm trying. And uh, I held on to that idea for like, I don't know, I guess it was always in the back of my head for like, yeah. probably like a year and a half. And uh, my really good friends who I work with all the time, uh, we were working and uh just I, I just we were working with a new writer and I just said to him I was like I've been holding on to this idea because we were talking about you know relationship stuff his current status etc and uh I was just like yeah like I've had this idea it means a lot to me I just don't know where to put it yet I was like how can I love my heart's half gone and he just immediately just goes how can I love when my heart's oh, half damn. gone and I was just like <laughs> and then it was banter I was like there's not enough left for me to move you had like a conversation and it was literally just like within under five under literally what felt like five seconds it's like we had the chorus and then from there it just kind of we just put chords under it Mm. and that was weird because normally i'm always relying on chords to make the melody right we were sitting outside i was having a drink he was smoking a cigarette and literally he just did that and so we we put the chords under the melody Mm. and then that's how it it was amazing like how it all just came to be and it, it definitely brought a sense of closure um so I thought that was really cool how yeah. it just all formulated. I also think that it's two nice pieces of the puzzle, like for your introduction back to this, but like sexual vibe and, you know, have gone are totally, you know, different vibes entirely. And it's like yeah. a cool, like versatile way to get to know you. Like they're, you know, it's, they're both interesting songs in their own way, but they're not identical, you know? I'm really glad that, uh, I didn't try to make sexual vibe 2.0 right, right. production or voice because I, I, I'll be honest, I actually did try to make another guitar riff like it, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm never gonna be able to make one like that. And it's like I'm not supposed to. Right. I still don't know how what I did with co-production with Ito. I still have no idea. <laughs> but like, we did it. It's yeah. like I cannot make a 2.0 version if I tried. So I think what's important is to just focus on the fact that just like people, music's allowed to have multiple facets. So it's like. If I'm going to put out a body of work, every song can't have the same noises or the same, like the, the one distinguishing factor, in my opinion, will be obviously the voice. Yeah. Um, and if that can't be the silver lining between all the songs, then there's a problem with the music. So in my opinion, that is the silver lining, my voice. Yeah. Um, That's the through line. And the sentiment. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Finally, because I've kept you a long time. Um, That's okay. Uh, now that we've heard these two songs, I'm sure you're still in the beginning of stages of all this, but are we leading toward a project of some sort, an EP, an album? Are you thinking about that yet? Um, yeah, I was thinking of being a dog whisperer after this. No, oh, kidding. that's cool. <laughs> no, I, I, think, um, I think the next step is obviously to release a fuller body of work, mm-hmm. whether that's an EP or an album. I, I, ideally, I would love if it was an album, um, but you know, that's also me. I'm very like impatient. Um, <laughs> I have a bunch of songs that I'm excited about that most are 
pretty close to finished or yeah. maybe they need some tweaking where I'm like, let's just put it all out to the world. But, <laughs> you know, it's so easy to forget that a song that you've been hearing for the past year, um, maybe a couple months, maybe the past year, maybe two years, who knows? It, the world hasn't heard it yet, so it's not antiquated in, st- in right. style or sound. Right. So there's always that part of me that just wants to push to get it out as fast as possible. But, you know, that that could be harmful in the sense of your growth where it's like, you know, let's say Afghan started to perform in the sense like I'm developing a fan base. People are like, whoa, who's this? I really like him. And then I just completely cut it off and put out a full, like, right. you know, it's like you want people, even though we live in a world where, you know, on streaming platforms, over 100,000 songs are released a week, I think, mm. is what I was, I don't know if that's actually true. Don't That sounds right. It sounds it's, like it's something absurd. <laughs> it sounds right. But where people are being spoon fed music, I think it's important to space it out mm-hmm. where it's like you can actually get to know me as opposed to, I'm just putting out a song every single week. Like, you're going to lose quality eventually. There's so many songs you can point to, I feel like, over the past few years, too, that have had these, like, crazy, long, slow-burn shelf lives, too. Like, Love Lies by Normani and Khalid, which is still in, like, the top ten of pop songs. Boot Up, which came out two years ago. And you know what I mean? Like, stuff like that. So you need time to sit with it sometimes. An audience needs time. Yeah. It's really important. And, uh... I think it just helps identifying who you want to be. And there's there's just no rush. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, you look at like art, like artists that are probably going to be known as like legacy artists, I think, in the next how many years. Like you look at like Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift. It's like they're not putting something out every other month. Yeah. There is like a, there is a, a cycle where a lot of people are like, we need to put a song out every other month or every two months. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are doing that on the streaming services, and that's, that's great, um, and it, it's working, mm-hmm. but... You know, notice how the legacy or soon to be legacy, if not already legacy artists, they, they're waiting, they're taking a year to write experience life mm-hmm. and then they're putting a cool body of work out. I still think at the end of the day, that's really important to yeah. do. No one's forgetting about them. Like, no, <laughs> you know, of like... course not. But also because <laughs> both of those people in that case, they both write and they make their music. It's important to not just push a body like it. It's the classic, what is it, quality over quantity. Yep. It's literally that. So yep. I, that's what I, the model I'd like to follow. Well, incredible. We look forward to hearing some of that music trickling out over the next few months, and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you. We Yay. Can I love when my heart's half gone? There's not enough left for me to move on. Yeah, you Thank you so much to Stephen Booth for coming into the office. Um, you know, we're looking forward to hearing what's next from him because we only have a small taste at this point. I was bummed I wasn't there. Keith is bummed. Um, yeah, I, I, w- like... I would have been like, yo, I like, I've, I've been to your brother's house. Yeah. <laughs> like, and saw and saw his equipment where he recorded stuff. And as we mentioned in the interview, it is a true family affair because Stephen's twin sister, Michaela, was also in the room kind of like handling his daily affairs. So um, it was a a Puth family affair it's for the, sure. It's the Puth family singers. Everybody. And I feel like I need to mention this interview was recorded in Keith's least favorite place to record, and there were about ninety people who decided to walk in and out of the very loud double doors outside of the conference room during the interview. So probably should have prefaced. The interview if you with heard that. that, you know, sorry, but you know, still a good conversation. Hopefully, you tuned it out at some point. We actually just recorded it in the middle of a lunchroom. Yeah, exactly. Everyone, come join us. <laughs> And now, let's do the chart stat of the week. They wanna excite us, cause we have the breath. 
This week in 1977, Barbra Streisand's Evergreen, the love theme from A Star is Born, hit number one on the Hot 100. On March 5th, 1977, at least on the list dated March 5th, 1977, the tune rose two to one for its first of three weeks in charge. Of course, Streisand's star was the predecessor to Gaga's star, and like Evergreen, uh, Shallow was also an Oscar winner for Best Song, winning both Streisand and Gaga an Oscar. Plus, both tunes hit number one. Evergreen did shortly before that year's Oscar ceremony, while Shallow shortly after the Oscars. I'll have you know also the Billboard Pop Shop podcast was the first to report that Evergreen and the other music from the Barbara A Star is Born would not be featured in the new A Star is Born. Is that when you interviewed Gaga? Yes. And you asked her specifically, is she going to cover Evergreen or yes. something? And, and she, she like, said, nope. no, it's all original. She's There's like, not going to be any of... She's like, I'm writing a song called Shallow right yeah, now. She did not say that. <laughs> she didn't spill those beans. <laughs> so there you have it. This week in 1977, another Oscar-winning Star Trek hit number one on the Hot 100, Barbara Streisand's Evergreen. Ageless and Okay, any parting words, Katie? Katie, Katie, Katie. This was a real A Star is Born episode. It's a star-centric episode. We have Gaga, we have Barbara, and then maybe Steven will be the next star to be born. True. <laughs> they'll do a male remake. They'll they'll do a gender swap a remake. Gender flip. I mean, that's happening probably in twenty years. A famous established lady who gets with like a hot younger. I feel like we just wrote this. Sure. <laughs> okay, so what song should we go out on? Oh man. I have nothing. Oh <laughs> By Whitney Houston from from <laughs> Not, not, not. I didn't. I was literally just saying that I have nothing. But when I said it, I mean, it is a movie musical soundtrack. So no, I have sounds nothing, appropriate. Nothing. Nothing. If I don't have you. And now, now cue Whitney. Okay. Bye. Bye. Don't walk away from me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.